This is Wildcat Dojo Conversations. Hi, and welcome to another show. I'm Sensei Michelle. I'm Sensei Jackie. And I'm Landon. Today, we're going to talk about the samurai. I had to divide it into two halves, the history and then the philosophy, because it was just so much information. I don't think we're going to fit it all into 20 minutes. Oh, Sensei. Okay. So I'm going to say my sources first. Of course, I used my old friend Wikipedia. I also used a site called Ancient Origins. I used the History Channel site, as well as my traditions book and a book called Arms and Armor of the Samurai by a man named I Bottomley. And I swear that is not a joke name. I thought it was when I saw it. (laughs) And A.P. Hobson. And I also used the site of the Encyclopedia Britannica. Sensei. I used a site that I had never heard of before. It's called the Handy Art History Answer Book. And it was online and really interesting. Wow. Now, see, there's a new thing for us, right, Landon? Sensei. And I read an article called The 20th Century Samurai, which I didn't feel that it was relevant to this podcast, but maybe one later. What was it about? It was about Richard Kim. Oh, yeah. We got to do and, a piece on him. Uh, it was it was very interesting, but I didn't feel like it matched with this podcast. Richard Kim is totally worth talking about. Don't you think so, too, Jack? Oh, I do with his weaponry. And I can see, not even reading the article, how they would have made him a 20th century samurai. Us. Okay, back on track. I was so excited when I was thinking about doing the history of the samurai But when I started doing the history and I found out that they found their origins as the keepers of the caste system in Japan, that made me a little disappointed because it seems like, you know, they were thumbing people down. But that's the way it was back in the day. Yes, we learned about that in school. And it's sometimes you think, "Ooh, I don't really like that. So I can see how you felt. I'm not too excited anymore. (laughs) (laughs) But according to all my articles, that's exactly what they were. They started as armed supporters of the rich landowners from 1794 to the late 1100s. And it was at the late 1100s that they began to have a higher status. At the end of the 12th century, they began to be named officers in the caste system. Do you know what the word samurai meant? I heard that it meant those who serve. And that the wealth of the samurai was measured in the word called koku, which was the amount of rice it took to feed a man for a year, about 180 liters. And people would say, how many koku a year do you make? And that was about the rice. (laughs) That's a cool story. From the 12th century, of course, I'm back on track just in case you didn't know that. From the 12th century all the way into the late 1800s, the samurai were the police of the military dictatorships. They were the enforcers for the shogun who were backed by the, and I can never say this word correctly. I'm going to give it a shot, Jackie, and you fix it. Daimyos. Or daimyos. Which I believe meant the great lords. And then the great lords answered to the emperor. Well, I heard that the daimyos and the shoguns fought almost constantly for, what, about five centuries from the 12th to the 17th? And they fought over land ownership, and the samurai were their army. 
But the strange thing about this is that the emperor never changed during this whole time. It was the same one throughout. But the underlings were just having civil war after civil war. You mean the same family, not the same guy, obviously, right? Yes. Hey, Landon, didn't you find out something as well that happened during that 500-year period? Uh, Sensei. The ninja came in as the renegade fighters as well as the ronin, but we'll get to that in another podcast. I think that that's very interesting. I got to tell you, I'm really looking forward to the ninjas and the origins of the ronin. That sounds like fun to me. Yes, I'm excited for that. Okay, so we know that the samurai were the well-paid retainers of the daimyo, and that their place in the caste system was just under the shoguns. They were given property, and in return, they provided the military support. The samurai lived in castle towns, and they had high prestige to the point where they got the special privilege of the wearing of the two swords. So that was pretty visible to everyone. Kind of like a uniform we might think of today. But in 1588, that was the year, according to my sources, that the farming class was no longer allowed to carry swords. And that brings up a whole array of weapons made from farming tools, which really does relate to things that we talk about, right, Landon? Because we have a whole array of weapons that we learn in our style of karate based on farming tools. So those weapons are called kabuto weapons, and those weapons range from the bow to the nunchuck. I see another podcast coming. For sure, for sure. Okay, so let's move on to the fact that the samurai were proficient in 18 weapons, shall we? Essensei. Let's just name some off, starting anywhere. Anybody can go first. You want me to start? That'd be great. Essensei. Okay, obviously, the long and the short sword. And the knife. Yes, and the bow, or the bow staff, which we use in karate. Right. And the kyundo, the uh, bow and arrow, my favorite. And one that I found in the Arm and Armor book called the Kabu Tawari, which was sometimes called the helmet or skull breaker because it's designed to split the helmet. And I'm going to spell that one in case somebody ever wants to Google it. In Arms and Armor, it was spelled K-A-B-U-T-O-W-A-R-I. How about Skullbreaker? Ooh. I mean, that's just such a great visual of a weapon. But isn't it also true that they uh, could turn any or many daily items into weapons? Because I believe it's called a Miji Kimono when they right. do that. Okay, and we'll, and we'll go ahead and brainstorm those. You start out, Landon. Um, well, we could say cooking pots. Cool. And the and the cooking stuff, the rice? Us, of course. The tobacco pipes when they were tobacco pipe smokers. And the decorative hairpin. Some of you who know Sensei Jackie don't know that for her fifth degree test, she created a kata around that decorative hairpin. What, what's the Japanese word for that, Jackie? Kansashi. That's pretty neat. Oh, it's, it, it is. It's such a cool weapon. And I believe you found out some interesting stuff, Jackie, about the writing, the pen sets that they carried. Right. They, they had a pen of some sort that had a point on it, of course, and they carried the ink for that pen. If they were attacked, they could take the ink and throw it at the person because it forced them to look away when they saw the ink. And then they would use their pen as a stabbing tool, probably wow. to the eyes or the ears, something like that. 
And that reminds me of how Master Collegian would always train us to throw our jacket or something into their face so we could get the first move in as that same kind of a make them blink or make them look away thing. Do you remember that? Yes. And I do remember you in class, Sensei, took a, a tissue and threw it at somebody and automatically their head went away. So it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It's whatever you have on you that is used as a distraction. And whenever we teach self-defense, we bring it up. Us, I was just going to say that that is my favorite part of the self-defense class. I love when you put out all the table of the household weapons. Yes, and and I believe, Sensei Jackie, that you said that the whole table that we've built over all these years of household weapons is almost a dictionary of weapons you researched and found under this subject of the samurai. It was so thought-provoking for me to realize that we are never the people who have invented a thought. This came a long time ago. And interestingly, too, a lot of these weapons they could carry in their obi. Uh-huh. And they they would do that because when they went into the tea house, they had to leave their swords outside. Right. Really? That's, yeah, that's why the, the weapons became so commonplace. Yes. And the one that we've talked about for so many years has been the fan, the fighting fan. True. And, you know, we love fans. Yes. Oh, yes. Okay, let's get into the timeline here as they went through the... 600 years, each battle sequence is known as a period. For example, the last one, which is the most famous one, was the Tokugawa period. And it went from 1600 until the 1860s when the Meiji Restoration began. At the Restoration, that's where the emperor decided to start a national army, making the samurai unnecessary. And did you know that that is a time period made famous in the Tom Cruise movie, The Last Samurai, uh, which I have not seen, but definitely should based off what I've heard about it. Um, But in actuality, it was many small battles, not one big one. And it's true, though, that the samurai were finally outweaponed by gunpowder. Can I inject something here that is slightly irrelevant, but totally fun to The Last Samurai? Plus, Sensei. About... Oh, I don't know, 16, 17 years ago when this movie came out, Master Collegian rented a movie theater on a Sunday morning for everyone in the room to come watch the movie. And afterwards, there was so much discussion, and I believe Master Collegian achieved his goals. A little bit of learning about the time, but a lot of camaraderie for the room. So this is just a very fun memory in my heart. It was like our own version of a kid's birthday party. (laughs) Yes, it was. (laughs) That's funny. But in the 600 years prior to that not so exciting ending to it all, there were many different battle sequences, Shogun versus Shogun and all sorts of political backstabbing of Shoguns to their daimyo and just goes on and on and on, doesn't it? Us, it does. And did you know that until the World Wars, all Japanese wars were fought on their own soil which is unusual to some historians. Um, And they were always fought as land power grabs within Japan itself. Wow. It was very much like a civil war then, I guess. Constantly, over and over. Us. Yeah, or you know what I I equated it to? A giant family just constantly fighting over stuff. (laughs) The Hatfields and the McCoys. That's right. (laughs) I was just going to say, and that's something that I can relate to my world history class 
is that the Greeks in their city-states, they would fight with the other city-states for land, but always on their land. They never left their soil. So that's oh, interesting. See, I didn't really remember that. And, and thank you for sharing that because I'm equating it to like the Normans and the Romans. They, they went out and took other people's lands. That was their whole gig, right? Right. They were the conquerors. All right. What else you got over there that you want to share with us? To me, the fascinating thing is that as, as time went on, this warrior class became more and more refined, more philosophical, more well-rounded in what it meant to be a samurai. And I think that that is the part of the samurai that we remember most. It may be glorified, but they certainly became less rustic and uh, more gentlemanly-like. More renaissance more exactly, more Renaissance. And so at that time, they became known as a bushi, a warrior, and created bushido, which we translate as the way of the warrior. So some of those skills that they adopted to refine and make themselves well rounded included let's, of course, do this like we always do. I'll start out, included flower arranging, the tea ceremony, definitely poetry. Definitely. Haikus were big. And painting. And calligraphy. Rock gardens and even theater. So we're talking about people who started out as hitmen for warlords, and then they became more and more cultured as time went by. Also, it is said that the samurai were less than 10% of the entire population. Wow. Really? And don't you think that that changed during big war times? Oh, definitely. Because when our country had the draft, I looked this up and we were 2% of the population was in the military. And now what's that number, Jackie? I think it's less than half a percent, 0.5%. So crazy. I guess that uh, 10% of a population is significant. Oh, yeah, it is very significant. They didn't say it like it was significant, but that, that is what happened. Okay, so I want to get back to the Tokugawa period. And this was a time of great prosperity, a trend toward consumer culture. I swear, that's what the Encyclopedia Britannica said. That's so funny. They weren't just stealing from modern lingo. And they didn't have very many battles. Wasn't this the time that Commodore Perry arrived and his goal was to open global trade routes? And as I've read that that, modernization really uh, threw a wrench into the culture. Exactly. That's exactly what happened. And most of the samurai at that point resorted to working as bureaucrats, although they were allowed to continue the tradition of wearing two swords, distinguishing them from the rest of the population. It all came to a head in that Meiji Restoration of 1868. And the small uprisings of some of the samurai began to appear and They wanted to try to keep their position. Understandably, because their whole world had been pulled out from under them. Exactly. Anyway, as always happens, the fallout of all this ended differently for different people. Some took up positions of leadership in government and even in private business. And some created secret sects. And that's S-E-C-T-S, sects. The most famous secret organization was the Black Dragon Society, who loved to create trouble so they'd have something to do. 
I love finishing on that note. I think it's fantastic to finish up on the note of the Black Dragon Society because now we've wet their whistle for things to come, don't you think? I sure. We've got ninjas, we've got Ronan. We certainly should Google the Black Dragon Society. If I had something right here, I'd do it just to find out what it was all about. Uh, so one thing that I did find was that they were founded in 1901. And I actually looked at their logo, and it is very interesting. I don't know how it really resembles the activities that they did, but it's a very cool logo. I'm going to look Dragon it up. Us. And, and you know what? We can also put it on our pictures page on the wildcatdojo.com, okay? Yes, we can. What a perfect segue. <laughs> yes, sensei, I think that we should switch roles today. How so? I think that instead of me saying how to get in touch, that I think that you should. Wow. Okay, let's see if I can pull this off. All right, guys, how do they get in touch with us? First off, I think the, that why they should get in touch with us is for any reason they want. Tell us we're doing good. Tell us we're doing things we could improve on. I would prefer if you don't say you're doing bad, but things we could improve on. How about some Chuck um, Norris jokes they could send us? <laughs> and how to reach us is at dojoconversations at AOL.com, on our webpage, wildcatdojo.com, on the Facebook page, Wildcat Dojo, or you can text or call the phone number 954-350-1915. And on that note, I'd also like to mention that we still, even in this terrible, terrible time of people being quarantined and people trying to recover and people going through all kinds of hardship, Honor Athletics is still there for you. They'll work through mailing, as they always have, and they'll work through honorathletics.com. Right, guys? That's insane. Right. And you can reach her by phone at 770. I almost said 954. <laughs> 770-945-5150. <laughs> and I believe we have covered this subject. What do you guys think? Us. I really enjoyed this today. So did I. I got to laugh a whole bunch. Well, I'm looking forward to the philosophy of the samurai, but I'm also looking forward to the piece on Musashi. Also, I happened across the 10 most famous swords in history and all kinds of non-Japanese famous swordsmen that I think I might have to touch on. So we're going to be busy for a while. Listen, say we will. And we hope that you join us for all these interesting topics. Every week. All right, Landon, why don't you start out with the goodbyes and I'll finish this up. Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of Wildcat Dojo Conversations. We hope that you enjoyed and can't wait to see you next week. I can't wait to continue our conversations. Please take care and we will see you soon. I want to assure everybody that we will come back to having guests very, very soon. We're just trying to sort out this quarantine thing. And when we get it sorted out, hopefully by the next time you hear from us, we'll have another voice, which we love. Don't we love when we get a conversationalist? We do. I love meeting all our guests. Yeah, it's fantastic. I'm looking forward to that and to seeing you guys next week. With that, I'm signing out. Thanks for being here. Hope you join us again next week on Wildcat Dojo Conversations. <laughs>